explicitly and openly about the kingdom. And we see, we've seen over the months, we've looked at this, a growing opposition to Jesus. A hardening opposition. So we've got people who hear the word of Jesus, hear the message of the kingdom, and increasingly their hearts become hard and they start to oppose Jesus. At first it started with a few murmurings, grumblings, and it grew in strength and it grew in hardness and to the point where they actually accused Jesus of being in league with the devil, as Jerome reminded us. They say, these, these acts, these works, these miracles must come from Satan. That's how hard they've become. But from this point, Jesus changed, changed his, his approach in teaching the people. And his disciples noticed this. And they, 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 they asked the question, why on earth now have you changed your approach? Why are you now teaching the people in parables, using these stories, when before you were so open and clear in your teaching? And I think that's a reasonable question. You might just notice the difference and say, why has Jesus done this? So Jesus, although he taught the crowds in parables, using these stories, he explained everything to his disciples in private. And there was a big difference. The parables were for the crowds and for the disciples, but only the disciples, the followers of Jesus, got an explanation of what these things meant. And I think another thing that prompted this question, that might have prompted it, was the fact that in the parable of the sower, Jesus had just given a story which illustrated the the importance of hearing the word of God, of understanding the word of God, of acting upon the word of God. Remember the good, the, the, the good soil, the soil that the, the seed falls upon and it, it produces a crop, a fruitful crop. And you, you might think to yourself, why on earth has Jesus chosen to not teach clearly anymore when he's just said that understanding and hearing is so important? Why is he using these slightly obscure stories? So they ask him this question, don't they, in verse 10. Why do you speak to the people in parables? And today we're going to look at the answer that Jesus gives. What does Jesus say in verse 11? He gives them an answer. He replied, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. When it talks about secrets, the word could be translated as mysteries, or it could be translated as revelations. Things which are revealed by God. We think of a mystery, we think of something which is hard to understand. But this is not necessarily that, this is not what it means. The mystery here in this context is something which has been revealed by God to the people who can hear it. And Jesus says these mysteries of the kingdom, these secrets have been given to them, meaning the disciples. I think it's very important that we, we understand what Jesus means when he says the knowledge of the kingdom, the secrets of the kingdom. When we think of knowledge, what do we think about? Normally we think about information, facts, intellectual capacity, the ability to understand and to know about things. I want to ask you a question. Do you think that Jesus, when he says that the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom has been given to them, does he just mean that the disciples have been chosen 
to receive deeper teaching, an explanation of the parables that wasn't available to the wider crowd? Is it just a matter of like a, like a kind of um, a draw, like a lottery, where somehow these people, you, this is your lucky day, you've been randomly selected to, to hear this information that other people won't hear. And if you haven't heard, if you haven't been selected, it's hard luck. Maybe next time you'll hear it. Is that what it's like? The disciples just chosen by chance almost to, to hear more information about the kingdom. But I think it's much more than that. And I think we need to be clear on this so we understand the parable. If we go to Proverbs 1 verse 7. Proverbs is in the middle of the Bible. I want to read you quite a famous verse, chapter 1, verse 7. I think this will help us to understand what knowledge means when Jesus uses the word. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. As I said last week, dear friends, the biblical definition of a fool of somebody who lacks knowledge and lacks wisdom is not a matter of intellect or a matter of a shortcoming of facts or a lack of intelligence. Every time the Bible talks about the fool, it's talking about someone who is a victim, if you can call it that, of a moral failure. Somebody who is morally in a wrong place, is spiritually in a wrong place. If belonging to the kingdom of God were just a matter of intelligence and facts and the ability to process information, all the intelligent people in all the universities of the world would be Christians. And all those people with low IQs and who are poorly educated would not be Christians. Belonging to the kingdom has never been just a matter of being able to understand and process things, to understand and gather information, store it up. It's a moral shortcoming. And it says in Proverbs 1, the failure here is to fear the Lord. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. They hate wisdom, they hate discipline, and they despise it because their hearts do not fear the Lord. The Pharisees at the time of Jesus had a huge amount of knowledge and wisdom in a sense. They'd learned so much. They'd gathered so much information over the years of study about the scriptures and about the Lord. And yet their hearts were like the the person described in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. Their hearts did not fear the Lord, and they were hard, and they lacked knowledge, and they lacked wisdom to receive the word of God. And I believe those Pharisees could have had the most explicit teaching about the kingdom. They could have had the most clear teaching, and they, they still would have rejected it because their hearts were not in the right place. They were fools in a biblical sense. Not lacking intelligence, not lacking knowledge, but lacking a heart which is receptive to the word of God. And thus they were like the path that the, the seed fell on. It just got eaten up by the birds. The problem of the human heart cannot be overcome by teaching alone. 
Teaching is very important. Information is important. But just giving people information, telling them about the things of God, will not overcome the problem of the human heart, which is a moral and a spiritual problem. When Jesus says to his disciples, you know, it's been given to you. So what does he actually say here in chapter 13? Let's go back to there. The knowledge of the secret of the kingdom of heaven has been given or granted to you. He's not just saying you, you've been chosen to receive deeper teaching. But he's talking about something, I believe, that happens to the human heart. That God has granted to them an ability to understand the word of God and to receive the word of God. There, there are some special privileges which the Lord has given the disciples here, which I want to mention to you tonight. So these are the ability to understand the teaching of the kingdom, the willingness to accept the teaching of the kingdom, and the right to receive the teaching of the kingdom. Maybe you think that Jesus is being unfair by not giving everybody an equal chance to hear the gospel. But let me explain to you why I believe he is being fair. And let me explain to you what he has done in the hearts of those who followed him. The first thing that he has given them is the ability to understand. The ability to understand the truths of the kingdom. Spiritual discernment is a spiritual gift that God gives, isn't it? The ability to not just understand facts, but to understand and to to draw them close to your heart and to be changed by them and to be convicted by them. This is something that God gives. And the ability to understand God's word and to to read it and to study it and to, to actually comprehend it in a spiritual sense is something that God gives by his grace. You talk, don't you? I mentioned this last week. You talk to non-believers about the things of God. They might understand a lot of the facts, but there's a blindness there, a lack of comprehension, a lack of understanding, a lack of conviction. And you can give them wonderful arguments and wonderful teaching, and it still does not penetrate the heart. And somehow, wonderfully, with his disciples, Jesus has open their hearts, or the Lord has opened their hearts to give them understanding so that the word of God doesn't become something which offends them or antagonizes them or confuses them, but suddenly it starts to make sense. So I get that. I understand that. And it's just the same today, isn't it? When, when the Lord takes a hard human heart, hardened, sinful, calloused heart, he takes it, a person who was just confused about the gospel, just indifferent towards it, they couldn't care less. And then he gives that the ability, the knowledge of God, personal knowledge and revelation, and a heart which is soft and open to receive the word of God and the ability to understand. So that was the first thing, I believe. When, when, he, when he said he, he had given them knowledge, it was the ability to understand and receive teaching and for it to make sense and for it, for it to touch them. And move them spiritually. And the second thing I think what is meant when Jesus says he gave them knowledge is he gave them a willingness by his grace to accept his teaching. The disciples had been given hearts which feared the Lord, which loved the Lord, which 
regarded and that they recognized Jesus and, and his authority. They recognized him as king. And they were only too willing to hear more teaching about his kingdom. You could have gone to those Pharisees. You could have given them all this teaching about the kingdom and about God's purposes. And they would have rejected it, no matter how explicitly it had been taught and openly it had been taught. Because they didn't accept Jesus. They rejected him, they hated him, they despised him. And because of that, they were were in no position to receive teaching about the kingdom and God's purposes. I wanted to, I can only think of one illustration of this. You remember the, the restoration of the monarchy back in 1660, where... King Charles II, the merry monarch, came back to the throne after many years of this country being a commonwealth and not having a king. Imagine, I don't know the history of this, imagine there were some men at that time who refused to accept the authority of the monarch. And so we don't, we don't regard him as our king. We don't believe there should be a king. We refuse to accept him. Would the king have taken those men into his confidence? Would he, would he have regarded them as his friends? Would he have taught them about his plans and purposes? I'm, I'm going to make this new law. I'm going to visit this place. I'm going to have this military campaign. Those secrets, those things that belong to a king, would not be given to those men who refuse to accept his reign. Who harden their hearts against him and say, whatever you do, I don't want to hear about your kingdom. You're no king to me. Of course, the king will not waste his breath teaching these men, telling these men about his plans because they, they're in no position to listen. And that, dear friends, is one reason why Jesus does not open the secrets of the kingdom to the Pharisees and the unbeliever because they simply did not want to listen. They were in no position to listen. So first and foremost, they could not understand because their hearts were darkened. They could not perceive spiritual things, but secondly, they were in in no position because they were not willing to accept the king and therefore were not in a position to hear about the kingdom. The third thing that Jesus gave the disciples was the right, the privilege of receiving his word. Think again about those men who opposed the king, King Charles II. Since they so hate the king and want to plot his downfall, the king has no obligation to teach them about his ways. Now, not only does, do they not accept it, but he says to them, you know, I jolly well won't tell you what I'm doing because you're my enemies. You have no right to hear what my plans are for my kingdom. Only those who are loyal to the king who bow the knee to the king, who submit to the king. They're the only ones that have the privilege of coming into his courtroom and hearing his judgment and hearing his plans and being taken into his confidence. The only way those rebels could be brought in is if they were to change their hearts and bow the knee and say, yes, I do acknowledge you as my rightful king. And then the king might show mercy to them and bring them in and start to explain to them about his purposes and give them the right to understand his plans for his kingdom. Those who make themselves enemies of Jesus, who harden their hearts against him, have no right to expect the Lord to confide in them or open up his secrets and his mysteries of his kingdom to them 
A non-believer, and it might be you today, a non-believer has no capacity to understand spiritual truth, to accept it. A non-believer has no desire to accept it. They don't want to hear about Jesus and his kingdom. And a non-believer, because they reject it and cannot understand it, they have no, no right to receive it. They cannot expect it, and God is not obliged to give it to them. But Jesus opened the hearts of his disciples. He gave them the capacity to understand and to receive the word of God and to accept the mysteries of the kingdom. And he gave them, he gave them a willingness to accept him as king and therefore to receive the teaching about the kingdom. And he gave them the right to be his friends and to hear his mysteries and to be taken into his confidence. And that is why when he speaks these parables to the disciples and explains it to them, he's doing just that. He's opening up the word of God and saying, dear friends, come and let me tell you more about my kingdom because you've accepted me because you're going to get it. And to those others who are hardened on the outside, they could have heard the word of God all day long explicit open teaching they still would have rejected it because their lack of understanding was a heart moral issue they were far from god they were wicked their hearts were calloused jesus talks more about a believer's privileges in verse 16 turn to verse 16 let's have a look at this but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear In one sense, he's talking about the privilege they have of seeing the Lord Jesus, of living at that unique time in the history of Israel when the Lord Jesus walked among them and ate with them and taught them. And they sat at his feet and they walked the road to Palestine and he spoke to them and he opened the word of God to them. And they they had that privilege. Imagine how amazing that must have been to see the Son of God, the long-awaited Messiah, and to live with him and to learn from him. And to hear the word of God taught by the Son of God. They were so blessed to hear this and to see the Lord Jesus in the flesh. But of course, on a deeper level, it doesn't just mean they were privileged to see him and to hear him, does it? It's talking about something spiritual as well. Blessed are your ears because they hear. You don't just hear the words. They bounce off. You hear them. You hear them in the truest sense touch you because your heart's been opened you don't just see jesus as a man walking around you see him you see you see something of his glory you see something of his identity you understand who he is you perceive he says blessed are you of whom this can be said you haven't just seen the man jesus you've seen him and you've heard him And although none of us in this room have seen the Lord Jesus walking this earth, if you're a Christian, you can say, along with them, I am blessed because I have seen by God's grace and I have heard because God has opened up my heart to receive the word and to receive the Lord Jesus. So we are a blessed people. Don't assume, dear friends, that teaching in itself is, can overcome the deficit of knowledge. Teaching is very important. We teach, we believe teaching is at the heart of what we do in church life, opening the word of God. 
But teaching in itself, giving people information, will not cut the mustard. It will not save people unless the Spirit of God takes it and applies it to the human heart and opens up that heart to receive. And that's what it means, I believe, when Jesus says the knowledge of the kingdom has been given to you, this supernatural work of the Holy Spirit to give people a revelation, the capacity to believe and understand. There were those who saw the Lord Jesus, who heard every word that was spoken publicly, that touched him, that saw his miracles, and it had the opposite effect on them. They did not believe, they did not see in a spiritual sense, they did not hear his words. There's two prophecies here. One, the first is from Ezekiel in verse 13. This is, this is why I speak to them in parables, says Jesus. Those seeing, they do not see. Those hearing, they do not hear or understand. That's from Ezekiel chapter 12. And then we've got Isaiah chapter 6. Let me just read it again. You'll be ever hearing but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing but never perceiving. These people's hearts become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. A few things I want to draw, draw out from Isaiah's passage, this prophecy which Jesus quotes. The first thing is that what was true in Isaiah's day was still true in the day of Jesus, only more so. In a sense, Jesus is, is the greatest of the prophets. The prophets have come and have by and large been rejected by the people as they bring the word of God. Don't forget, a prophet is somebody not just who tells the future, foretells the future, but somebody who declares the word of God that God has given to them. And Jesus is the the culmination, the greatest of all the prophets, as it were, but more than a prophet. And he comes and he preaches the word of God. And the reaction is just the same, if not worse. Jesus received the same rejection and unbelief as all the prophets did. And he makes this rather sad statement about the predicament of the people, the condition of the people. You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. Unlike us, Jesus had the ability to look right at the heart of a person and could see exactly what was in the heart. And he knew what was in a man. And he could say this, he said, I can see into your hearts and I can see that you never will believe. He's talking about some of the people that were hearing him. There are some people who can hear the word of God year after year and see the miracles at the time of Jesus. They saw great and wondrous signs that Jesus did, unprecedented things. There are people who can see the power of God in their friends, people who have changed, who have been changed by, by God, by Jesus Christ and by faith. You see all that and you hear the word and yet they will never believe. We, of course, we've not been given that level of insight. We can't look at a person and say, I know that person, my neighbor will never believe. That privilege belongs to God. That's why we preach the word of God to all who will listen. That's why we spread the seed wide to all kinds of soils, because we don't know what's in a man. But the fact remains that some people will never hear, will never respond, will never believe. No matter how plausible the teaching, no matter how clever the arguments, no matter how scintillating the logic, they still will not believe. 
Why is this the case? Look at verse 15. We've mentioned this already. Jesus gives us the answer, quoting Isaiah. This people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. In the King James Version of the Bible, which I'm sure you all read all the time, I think the, the translation of a heart that has become calloused is your heart is waxed gross. Your heart has become fat. You've got this quite disgusting picture of a heart that's just become fatty and a horrible kind of blob of fat and hardened and that fat's become hard all around it and it's just a horrible mess when it was supposed to be something which was so productive and healthy in the human body. It's become a loathsome, fatty object that just hardened. And, of course, this is not talking about the physical organ. It's talking about the spiritual life, the heart of a man or a woman. But this is a picture of, of the heart of many people. It's like, like this big, fatty, loathsome organ that cannot receive and cannot accept anything because it's just calloused and hard. It's not a pretty picture. The human heart is hidden in the depths of the body, isn't it? Put your hand up if you've ever seen your heart. Not one person could say that. Unless, of course, you have an open-heart surgery and they film it and you can see it. Uh, that, I don't want to envisage that, really. But you can't see your heart. Your heart's hidden inside of you, isn't it? It's pumping away, doing its job. You take it for granted. You don't know if your heart's healthy or not until you start having symptoms. In the same way, we don't know what's in the heart of a man, but there are symptoms which reveal the heart of a person within them. I'm talking spiritually, not physically. I wonder if your heart is callous this evening. And this is not just a word for non-believers, because Christians, if we're not careful, our hearts also can become calloused as well. It's not an overnight process. Over the years, layer upon layer of hardness can be put down to the point where we no longer hear the word of God. What else does Jesus say? He says here, they hardly hear with their ears. Notice he doesn't say they don't hear with their ears. He says they hardly hear or barely hear with their ears. If you put your hands in your ear, well, it's a horrible kind of whistling sound somewhere at Calvary. I don't, don't know where it's coming from. We were trying to work it out earlier where it's coming from. If you, if you hear some noise, unpleasant noise, or some speech, you put your hands in your ears, you can block out a lot of the noise, can't you? You, you, you rarely can block it out completely. If there were a thunderstorm, you put your hands over your ears, you might be able to soften the noise, but you wouldn't be able to completely block it out. In the same way, somebody who hears the word of God being spoken to them, they might hear a faint echo of the word of God. It's like somebody with their their fingers in their ears. I don't want to hear, I don't want to listen, but they can still hear in the background a grain, what's the word, part of the noise in the background. They can't completely eradicate that noise or block it out. There are some people that are pretty deaf to God and are putting their fingers in their ears and not listening, but they can still hear a faint echo of God's word. And if that's you, you need to be very careful. We need to be very careful that 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 last grain of understanding, that last bit of hearing is not completely taken away. While you still can hear, you need to act upon it and obey the word of God.
What else does he say? They've closed their eyes. Don't think that means they've become blind. They've closed their eyes. Why do you close your eyes when there's something you don't want to look at? Isn't it? My children are watching a scary film. They close, not that I show them scary films, but they, they close their eyes at certain points. I don't want to look at that. And this is talking about a willful, deliberate attempt to not look, to not see. And let me say this. We are all responsible for our own spiritual condition. Nobody can say, I believe, nobody can say, God has closed my eyes, primarily. I cannot believe because God has stopped me believing. Jesus never, ever turns away an honest, genuine seeker and tries to confuse them. If we do not understand the word of God, we don't care to receive the word of God, there's no one to blame but ourselves. It's not because we lack information, it's because we don't believe. But this is the good news. Look at verse 15. God actually is willing to receive the sinner who comes to him. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them, says God. This is a picture of conversion, isn't it? Of somebody becoming a believer, leaving that world of darkness leaving that world of hardness and rebellion and coming to God. What do they have to do? They might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, turn with, understand with their hearts, and then what do they do? They turn to God, and he would heal them. What a beautiful picture that is of what God does to a person. When they come to him, he heals them, he makes them right, primarily spiritually, restores them, forgives them, and brings them into his kingdom. This is what happens when the message is preached. Some believe. God gives them the gift of understanding, the ability to hear. And then they turn to God. And they are healed. They are restored. They are forgiven. This is what we call people to do. This is repentance. This is what repentance means. To turn. To turn to God. To turn away from your sin, your hardness. And to turn to God and to receive him. And to hear his word and to obey it and to be moved by it into action. And if you're not a believer, this is my call to you. It's not my call, this is the word of God calling to you to turn to God and be healed if you can hear the word. To turn to him and receive that healing. You never turn anybody away that comes to him. Let me, this is quite hard to explain. I, I'm, I'm not sure I've completely got my head around this, but I want you to try and understand what, what, where I'm coming from in this. So if, if that's the case, that the people are so hard-hearted they cannot hear the word of God, why does Jesus still continue to teach them in parables? Why doesn't he just withdraw completely and just focus on teaching his disciples and just give up on the crowds? Well, I think lots of different things are going on. In one sense, when the parables are spoken to the people and they do not understand, this is a way of, of showing the people that they are no different from the people in Isaiah's day. You hear the word of God, you hear and you hear, but you don't hear. You're no different. 
You're still hearing the word of God. So for, in order for that to happen, the word of God still had to be preached to these people and spoken to them so that, so that this process might be clearly seen that their hearts are hard. They do not understand and believe. The parables are, are like a warning and, and like an indictment against the people showing their guilt, showing their hard-heartedness, exposing it, that you really ought to believe this and understand this, but you can't and you won't. And because of that, you'll not be given any more teaching, explicit teaching. I was trying to find in the Old Testament a verse about this. I know there are places in the Old Testament where it says the word of God was rare in those days. One of the judgments of God is to withdraw his word, a silence from God. God just stepping back and not teaching his people, not speaking to his people. And I wonder if there's an element of that going on here, that Jesus is, by teaching in parables to the crowd, by not explaining them, he's withdrawing the word of God, the clear teaching of the word because their hearts are hard. And yet these parables are so ingenious. It's such a clever, wise way of teaching the people because simultaneously, as he's withdrawing from the people, the clear teaching of the word, he's still giving them teaching that they might repent and believe. So I I believe the parables are a judgment on the people who didn't believe. I'm going to take away my clear teaching, but I'm still going to give you teaching that you might hear the word of God. And then it might testify against you on the last day. In a sense, this was the last chance for Israel, wasn't it? They had all the prophets. This is the culmination of God's purposes for that nation, their last chance. He sends his own son. And... Already you can see the clock ticking and the sand sinking in the hourglass as Jesus is moving towards the cross. The light is with him for just a bit longer. And then already the withdrawing process has begun. Jesus has stepped back from teaching them openly. The next step will be for him to be taken away completely for the word of God. Not to be spoken anymore by Jesus at all to anyone as he goes back to heaven. So these are... I believe these are some of the reasons why Jesus speaks in parables to the crowds. First of all, it fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah. They're just like those people, doing exactly what the people of Isaiah's day were doing. And their their refusal to listen and understand exposes their spiritual hardness and their darkness. But at the same time, the parables warn the people of judgment. They continue to hear about the purposes of God in bringing about the final judgment, the final division and separation of the righteous and the unrighteous, sinners and the redeemed. And it's important that the people still heard those words, even though they couldn't understand them, that they would speak against them. And it declares that the parables declare God's purposes in his kingdom to put his son upon the throne to judge the nations that men are without excuse. None of those people could have said, why didn't you tell me? I would have believed if only I had known. He said, I did tell you. There were parables. You didn't listen. You didn't understand. And that wasn't a lack of intelligence. That was because your hearts were hard. And then the parables, they have another reason. They, they, they expose and show the difference between the different types of soils. They show who is a believer and who responds and who understands and who doesn't understand and who hardens their heart still further. And then the parables have another function. In a sense, the more people hear the word of God, even, even though it's just a parable, the more they hear it, the more it hardens their hearts. And in, in a sense, God gives them over to it. He, he says, okay, you won't listen. 
You won't listen to the clear teaching. I'm going to give you parables. And I'm going to withdraw. You're still going to hear the word, but every time you hear it, it's going to do something, something to you. It's going to harden your heart still more and more and more. But of course, the parables have a purpose for the disciples too, for the believer, to teach spiritual truth for those who, are, who have the capacity, the capability, and the willingness and the right to listen to the word of God. And that we're amongst those people, those who are believers, you have the right to listen to the word of God and learn and benefit from these parables. There is a way, I'm just finishing soon, there is a way that hearing the word of God can be bad for you. Someone said once, the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. The same word of God can have multiple functions and effects. The same word of God which is preached from this pulpit or somewhere else, which enlightens somebody else, which gives them spiritual life, which God uses to open their hearts, that same word can be deaf to someone else. They hear it. And it puts another layer of callousing, is that the word? Callousment, whatever it is. Hardness on their hearts. Yeah, thank you. I hate that when you're you're preaching, your your mind goes blank. That same word can put another layer of hardness. If you don't listen to it, you don't respond to it, you just go away completely unmoved by it, that word of God is doing its work. It's having an effect. But for you, if you don't respond to it, it will not be a good effect. It puts you in a very dangerous position. Those who have heard much are in a worse position than those who have heard less. Because you are more guilty. Your guilt is being compounded and built up. Every time you hear the word of God and don't respond to it, you have no excuse because God has given you so many opportunities to hear it and you've hardened your heart even further. And God has given you over to that, possibly. But of course, we pray for better things in your case. We have this very sentimental idea, don't we, that Jesus is always knocking on the door of people's hearts. And in a sense, that's true. And I want you to understand that. As long as people have got breath in their bodies, there's always a chance for them to turn and believe in the Lord Jesus and respond to his word. It's never too late until somebody is called, called to, to God and they die. Having said that, there may be a time for some people, I believe, where God, as it were, gives them over a judicial hardening. He says, okay, you've, you've had lots of opportunities and now I'm going to withdraw the opportunity for you in a sense, in a spiritual sense, that you will not be able to believe. And if you, you're so against me, and you're so hard to my word, then you can have that. I'm, I'm quite happy for you to have that, in a sense. And he gives you over to it more and more and more. Of course, we don't see this going on, but this is, this is a spiritual reality, I believe, that we see that in the Bible, hinted at, that people are just given. Even the little that you had is taken away from you. That grain of understanding is stripped away because you didn't respond to it today. Don't assume that when the word of God is being preached, it's just a, somebody standing up, and you might think it's a rather tedious sermon, and perhaps it is. When the word of God is spoken... Don't assume that nothing is going on. Something is going on spiritually. God is drawing some men to himself, some people to himself, and others are being hardened even as we speak, perhaps, as the word of God is preached. You go away harder than what you were when you walked in. What is the sign, dear friends, that you 
have been given this knowledge, this spiritual understanding, this, this ability to believe. What is the sign of that? What is the evidence of that? Well, I want to say something very clear as well, because there might be maybe somebody here today who thinks, well, my understanding of the Bible is very poor. And I find it really hard to grasp these great concepts that all the other Christians in church talk about. And I don't really understand what, what's this on about, these theologians. And you might go away thinking, well, perhaps I'm the kind of person that Jesus is speaking about when he says, I lack understanding, I lack knowledge. And I, I wouldn't want you to think that today because if you are a true believer and your heart has been changed and softened by the Lord Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, you may not know much. You may be a complete novice when it comes to Christian things. You may have a very poor understanding But the heart of the matter is there. You love the Lord Jesus. And you're willing to grow. And you're teachable. And that's all that Jesus asks. We we should grow in knowledge. I pray that all of us will deeply know the word of God. Steep ourselves in the word of God. Everyone here should be a theologian. Study the word of God. Learn and grow in it. That's good. That's part of spiritual progress. But if you struggle to understand certain things, don't, don't assume that you're somehow... One of these people that Jesus is talking about who's just hard and not listening. There are young Christians who have things that need to be straightened out. We need to teach them and bear with them, but the heart of the matter is there. People, if you're a true Christian, you're growing. There are many things, even the, the greatest theological mind in this church doesn't understand. There are certain things that we still need to learn and grow in, but we love the Lord and he's teaching us. And if we come to him, just like the disciples, he'll give us more insight and more wisdom as we grow. When you hear the word of God, when you hear the Bible, does it make sense to you? I'm not saying you understand it completely, but does it make sense? You have a a measure of spiritual discernment and understanding the Lord has given you. Perhaps you never had it before. Certainly you never had it before you were a Christian. Things that you thought were confusing and weird and just odd and didn't make sense. Now they make sense in some form. When you hear the word of God, does it challenge you? Does it move you? Or is it just, just like nice words that bounce off? When you hear the word of God, do, are you inclined to put it into practice? You say, this is God's word for me. I need to take this seriously. Or are you sitting here thinking about, you know, intellectual, how I could make this sermon into some kind of intellectual kind of thing? When, you, when we hear the word of God, we, we should be growing and learning. But the word of God, it touches us first and foremost in our hearts, doesn't it? We engage our minds as well in that process. You could get a load of men sitting there talking about the Bible, but they would not have the heart of the matter. That would be no good at all. Because this is a heart thing. Do you have a hunger for the word of God? When I became a Christian, the first thing that changed, one of the first things was I had a hunger for the word. I wanted to read the Bible. Before that, I couldn't care less. Couldn't have cared less. When you hear the word of God, do you want to hear more? Say, teach me more. I don't understand much, Lord. I'm like the disciples. I'm dull. I'm slow to learn. But teach me more that I might grow and understand more. If so, I think these these are signs that, that you are a Christian, that God has worked in your heart. He's given you that knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God, the ability to understand, the willingness to understand, and the right to understand. My final point is this. I'm sure my brothers could have done a much better job than me. But listen, in preaching this word, let's remember that all of us 
are born with calloused hearts. People are not naturally born with discernment and spiritual wisdom and a fear of God. We are born as rebels and sinners. Our hearts are far from God. Hearts are calloused, selfish. Little Phoebe, um, Stephen Brenda's granddaughter, said something about sin today in the Sunday school. I can't remember what it was, but it's about selfishness. And I want to rule my own life in my own way. And I don't want to accept Jesus and his plans and purposes. They, they mean nothing to me. They might impinge on my enjoyment of my life. We are born as rebels. Each and every one of us. There's not a single person that can say that. They're not. Calloused and hard-hearted. And blind and deaf. And yet, as I've said already today, as I've alluded to, when the word of God is preached, God takes people like that and he opens their hearts. He gives them the capacity to believe. He gives them the gift of faith. A heart of flesh where there was a heart of stone. It's grace, dear friends. It's grace. Something we don't deserve. Something we weren't looking for. But God has blessed us with. So don't think that people are entrenched in this position. People will always be this way. God can change even the hardest heart and give the gift of life. And we pray for that, don't we? We desperately pray for our friends who are lost, that God will give them the ability to say, this matters to me deeply and I need to get right with God. So I think Phil, we were talking earlier, Phil said the heart of the matter is this. If you can hear the word of God, if you can hear it, not just the words, but if you can hear it and it applies to you and you, you still can respond to it, respond to it. For goodness sake, respond to it. If you're not a Christian, respond to it. Come to the Lord and be healed. Confess your sins and believe in him. If you are a Christian, don't let your heart become calloused and hard over the years of following the Lord. You're so familiar with the Bible, you've heard it a million times. Let it do its work. You might need to repent and say, Lord, please stir me up again that your word might pierce my hard heart and bring me back to where I should be. What a terrible thing it is to hear the word of God and not to hear it. To see the Lord in his glory, as it were, not to see him and not to understand. But what a great thing it is when the Lord opens the heart of a, a sinner and gives them the grace to believe. So I'm not sure that I've covered every single thing we could say about this. But God is good and God can change people. And we pray that he will do that. Even tonight, maybe someone's heart has been changed. Who knows? Let's pray and then we'll sing another song.